Welcome to Green File for gardeners, environmentalists, and foodies. Green File, inspiring people and stories so that you can green your life. With your hosts, Ben and Mark, the father-son gardening duo. This week, we are talking to Rob Keane, who's been with Trees Ontario since 2002, which eventually became Forest Ontario, to make a long story short, where he serves as CEO. As Rob is involved in all of Forest Ontario's programs and activities in some way, there is no typical workday. However, it always starts early and ends late, as geared towards some accomplishing of Forest Ontario's vision. According to Rob, one of the best parts of his job is working alongside his dedicated staff and partners to achieve a common goal. Rob is a registered professional forester, an RPF. His cottage in Algonquin Park has always been his home base. Time at the cottage spurred his interest in the outdoors from a young age and played a pivotal role in guiding his career. From the completion of a BSCF, Bachelor's of Science in Forestry at the University of Toronto, to founding a forestry consulting business to where he is today. He comes from a long line of foresters following in his father's footsteps and his great-grandfather before him, kind of like us. So, uh, Dad, today I guess Rob is up somewhere fresh from the north. And you've known Rob for quite a long time, isn't that right, Dad? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I've known him for some time. Yeah, um, I'm. I am. We're going to. We're going to let Rob speak in just one moment. But I do want to say, Dan, I met Rob for the first time about eight years ago. This day, like in November, when I called together all the not-for-profit tree-hugging organizations I could imagine, and there were fourteen of them in total. Uh, to a, a meeting at the Toronto Botanical Garden to simply ask the question of the group. All of us are out there doing the same thing, promoting trees, planting trees, especially in the urban environment. And we're working in silos. What if we came together? What if we collaborated? And what could we do? What more could we do together? And Rob was on that train immediately. And he uh, was with us very much when we came, came up with this idea, thanks to Tony DiGiovanni, the executive director of Landscape Ontario, who put up his hand and said, why don't we reforest the highway of heroes that runs between CFB Trenton and the coroner's office in Toronto? I looked around the group and I said, so who among you might be interested in helping us? And Rob put up his hand. And, it, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, Rob, good morning and welcome. We're delighted to have you on the Green File. Good morning, Mark and Ben. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, you know, Rob is a huge tree guy, and I, by that I mean he's he's a, he loves trees. And you're going to find out just how much he loves trees and his the depth of his knowledge as we wade into this interview. He's also a big guy, so you don't mess with Rob, <laughs> right? All right, Rob. Let's begin with this. What was what was it that it spurred your love of trees? Here you are. You're about my age. We're both, I think, in our 60s. Am I wrong to say that? Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, so you've been loving trees for a long time. Where'd it come from? Yeah, Mark uh, and Ben, it, uh, I think it, it really did stem from my father. Um, he, As you indicated, he was a forester. And uh, I do recall quite often accompanying him to his various outings and being out in the bush and uh, just being part of that. And I think so he, he had a huge passion for the outdoors and for forests. And so I think it really started there. Um, and certainly, as you indicated, you know, we had a cottage in Algonquin Park, uh, had it since I was six years old. And I think in the early, early years, uh, I do recall wandering around the forest for the day. 
and uh, traveling around on my own, going and visiting through, walking through the forest to adjacent uh, cottages and friends and visiting. And my, uh, <laughs> my parents' only requirement or criteria was to be sure I was home for dinner. And uh, <laughs> I don't think you'd find that in today's society. I think parents would be charged for negligence if they if they let their kids wander around in a forest all day. But regardless, I did that. And, uh, you know, I think that's really where it started, just being outdoors and just loving to get outside. You know, what's funny about that is my mom pushed me out the door early in the day and she would say, don't come home till streetlights come on. But I guess that wasn't possible in Algonquin Park. Uh, that's true. <laughs> it was pretty dark. Yeah, those streetlights are up there. Come home before the bears come out. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Until the stars start glimmering in the sky, you know, the day is done. Well, there you go. And, uh, and of course, the, the stars and the, the, the viewing there is absolutely fantastic. You know, there's no uh, no true light pollution up in the park, so it's a great place to visit and, and look at the stars. Well, we're, we're delighted that you're here today. And um, Ben, why don't, why don't you start with... Uh, the work that Forest Ontario is doing and, and the incredible work that Rob is responsible for there. Right. So we, we've we been reading about it. There's this big political push, you know, to plant more trees. It's like, what are they? Jared Kushner calls it the ultimate bipartisan issue, which is kind of interesting. But obviously, there's political consensus around the need to plant more trees. One of those programs is the Ontario government's 50 million trees program. Uh, tell us how Forest Ontario is involved. Maybe you can give us a bit of history on 50 million trees. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, be more than happy to. So it um, it really it really started in uh, 2007 uh, when Premier McGuinty of the time announced the 50 million program. The goal is to plant 50 million trees by 2025. Um, we had just finished a program with the federal government called Forest 2020. And with that program, we planted, with our partners, we planted uh, 2 million trees in 2005. And uh, those partners include uh, conservation authorities, uh, their stewardship group, forestry consultants, First Nations, uh, municipalities and such. And basically anybody that has an interest in tree planting and has experts on the ground that can uh, oversee and guide tree planting activities. So we did that with the Forest 2020 with the federal program. Uh, interesting enough, the scope of that program was just to see how we could plant trees uh, for the purpose of sequestering carbon. And there was a number of calculations done on how much carbon was going to be sequestered and all that sort of thing. And uh, it was just, as, as I say, it's interesting because here we are, you know, some 15 years later, uh, looking at programs to do the same thing to, to, in a much, much bigger way. Um, so anyway, so the 50 million program was announced then uh, by Premier McGinty. Well, we started planting in 2008, and again, with all the partners, the program is designed to work with the local partners. These are, I'll, I'll call them the boots on the ground. These are uh, professionals that can go out, uh, meet with landowners, assess their, the sites to be planted, figure out what the best trees are to suit the site, um, oversee the ordering of the trees, oversee the planting, um, and then following up with quality control, and then beyond that, looking at the uh, survival assessments and making sure that, you know, we're coming back and, and seeing how the trees are doing. And uh, certainly if there's any competition, uh, doing some control measures for the competition, potentially if there's a need for refill, following up with that. So it was a full package program of professional tree planting 
which we we provide subsidies to the planting partner so that that greatly reduces the landowner's cost to plant trees. And we know that for Southern Ontario, where the focus is for the program, the more we can reduce the cost to landowner, the more landowners are going to want to participate. Yeah. And so we really try to focus on keeping those costs down yeah. and moving forward with the program. So that's that's essentially the program. Um, it was, uh, to much dismay, it was originally a liberal program. Um, in 2019, um, it was canceled uh, due to budgetary constraints, and we could certainly appreciate that. You know, there, there was certainly a lot of focus to address the deficit. That was April in 2019. Um, and then in, two, in June 5th, um, uh, Minister McKenna announced the federal support of the of our 50 million program and so we've been working with the the federal government ever since to continue with the 50 million program and continue the good work that all our partners do there we go so it kind of got uh passed off i guess but it's still running exactly yeah when you say competition uh you're referring to invasive species and and what types of invasive species are are you dealing with yeah, so so most of the competition, so the the uh, the primary target area is for this work, and it's to create new forests. Should have explained that. Um, and it's generally, you know, we're targeting old uh, abandoned agricultural fields, fields that have been laying fallow for many years. So it's all about creating new forests. Um, it's not about doing. It's called afforestation. It's not reforestation. And we have a forest industry in northern Ontario and in parts of Southern Ontario that do just an excellent job of reforesting the lands that they harvest. Um, and that's required by law that they do that. So this is a, this is totally different from that. This yeah. is about the creation of new forests. So when we get into these fields and we look at the competition, there is some invasive species. A lot of the times it's grasses. Um, so it's really important to address that competition, basically to make sure you give the trees enough room to grow and once they get above that competition, it's called free to grow. Then uh, we, we kind of let it go at that. I see. The do survival assessments. Ideally, we do survival assessments in years one, two, and five, and that's to, as, as I mentioned, to assess whether competition needs to be addressed, uh, if refill needs to happen. But constantly going back and making sure that all the efforts that went into planting those trees that you're going to end up with a, a healthy forest at the end of the day. Great. And so when you say, I mean, I think in a lot of people's mind, 50 million trees, that sounds like a lot of trees, but we also have no concept of how much land that is, right? And that varies by, I would imagine, urban, rural, semi-rural. So what's the land use look like in terms of total acreage and, and where specifically you say farm fields is exclusive to that? Um, pretty much, <clears throat> the, the, um, the program, when we went with the, with the federal, uh, support, we did tweak the program slightly for the criteria of the areas that we plant. And so now, you know, we're looking at, and, and really it's about trying to get more trees on the landscape where the, where the potential is there. Um, certainly we recognize in Southwestern Ontario, you know, a lot of great agricultural, uh, work going on there. So the opportunities for large blocks of land to be available to plant trees is somewhat limited. Um, so we down in Southern Ontario, we look at, okay, well, what about uh, planting along water systems, riparian plants? 
What about planting windrows, you know, adjacent to the crops? Um, you know, looking at a little bit more multiple species, looking at Carolinian species and introducing, bringing those back on the landscape. So it really is, you know, looking at all aspects of where we could potentially plant trees to get more tree cover on the land. Our criteria with the 50 million program right now is that the, the site has to hold a minimum of 500 trees. Uh, generally, we're trying for a minimum of 1,500, but we will go down to so as far as 500. Let me visualize that. 500 trees is how big a property? So 500 trees, so if, if, you, if we look at 1,500 trees, that's a hectare okay. or two and a half acres. So 500 trees is just a little less than an acre okay. of land. So these are thick. Mm. These are going to be thickets of wood someday. Uh, I wouldn't say thickest. The spacing is usually seven or eight feet apart, okay. uh, 2.1, 2.3 meters apart. Yep. So they're fairly widely spaced. Um, but yeah, so the idea is they're going to they're going to grow, you know, into a into a forest. A lot of the times, what we're doing, especially with these areas with high high amounts of grasses, is we're really working to control that that competition, the grass. And over the long run, uh, depending on what species you plant. There will likely be an infusion of other species that come in, uh, working towards a truly natural forest. And we've seen that in several cases across Ontario, where you know the old blow sands of the 30s and 40s were planted with red pine, and now a lot of those areas has, have succeeded to natural forests with maples and oaks and and uh, hickories coming into those areas, uh, creating that natural forest. So the, the red pine was sort of a kickstart yeah. to get that. Uh, restored and then long term was to get the forest restored back to that natural forest condition cool so i got one more question i'll turn it back to dad but urban trees are a completely different beast and they serve a completely different function in my understanding how are they different do they fit into your mandate and you know in terms of marginal value uh i guess is one way to look at it what sort of benefit do urban trees sort of confer versus you know just another tree in the forest not to diminish it by any means yeah, and I, it's, a, it's a great question, Ben. And, you know, oftentimes I, I, I look at that and, and, you know, trying to draw the line between urban urban trees, urban forests, and the peri-urban and the rural. And I, I really view it as one forest. And when you, if, you, if you bring it from the boreal forests of the north, you know, expanse, the expanses of forest, bringing it down, you know, through the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Forest, through, you know, a berry where the forest cover is starting to lessen somewhat, but you still have relatively large tracts of land. And then bringing it right down to the individual tree, you know, all of those trees, all of those forests have value. And so when we look at the, the rural forests, you know, a lot of the areas we focus on, there's the ecological goods and services that those large forests provide. There's the air purification, the water retention, reducing, mitigating flooding, um, you know, whole the, the wildlife habitat, all of those things that those types of forests provide. You bring it down to the urban forest where you've got, in some cases, you still have ravines, still providing that wildlife habitat, still providing, you know, the recreational opportunities to individual trees that, you know, you get trees planted in the right location in a house. They have huge value in, in uh, cooling the house in the summertime. Uh, reducing the loss of heat in the wintertime and, and those types of things that just, you know, they're, they're, all these trees have value. Um, certainly when we look at, you know, the, what was interesting actually with this past, uh, with COVID now that we're all dealing with, is 
is the people's people's desire to get out and get into green spaces. You know, people are just dying to to, to get out and get on the walking paths and out in the forests and, and such. And so that value, you know, with any trees that we have, uh, people love sitting under a tree. You know, it's cooler. Uh, you get the shade from the tree and all that. So all of these, all of these different levels of forests, if you will, all have a value. Um, when you look at the walking through the woods, I don't know if you guys have heard the term about forest bathing. Mm-hmm. It's actually Shinrin, Shinrin Yuku, <laughs> which is actually people, you know, their heart rates go down, blood pressure goes down, they feel better, you know, when you're walking in the forest. So it's just, it's just our forests have such huge value to us um, just in general, whether it be the expansive forests of northern Ontario through the through west central Ontario down to southern Ontario to individual trees. They all have incredible value. In a different way. Well, I think all, I think all of that's very useful. And, and thank you for the background information, Rob. About forest bathing, Ben and I uh, wrote a book together, our most recent book, The Escape to Reality. It's called Escape to Reality, How the World is Changing Gardening and Gardening is Changing the World. And we dedicated uh, one chapter to the concept of forest bathing, which, as you know, and you've, you've mentioned, originated in Japan, where for generations they've made it a habit to take senior citizens and perhaps senior senior citizens uh, from an institutional environment into a forest environment and they literally put them on a bus and take them there if they have to and give them several hours of time on a regular basis. And this evidently has huge therapeutic effect on them. And they've known this. And for some reason, the rest of the world is finally realizing that there is value in this. So yes, we're familiar with forest bathing and we would commend all of our listeners to Google it and find out for yourselves what Wonderful benefits there are from the forest experience, which brings me to my question for you, Rob, which is about, we, you talked about the 50 million tree program having environmental benefits, how uh, the liberal government in Ontario at the time instigated the program, and it's since been taken over by the liberal government of Canada. And that when I say taken over, I simply mean financed. You still control it. it it's something that uh, you do at Forest Ontario. And the question is the environment. How in layman's terms do you relate to the average Canadian the environmental benefits of forests, or for that matter, a single tree? Well, you know, and, and again, we we have put together studies before um, with the value, uh, we called a healthy dose of green. Mark, I think you, you probably remember that yeah, study. I certainly do, it was incredible. Yeah, we brought together all sorts of studies that that pointed to positive effects and impacts of the natural environment on our own health. So certainly, you know, when you try when you can go to convey that kind of messaging to people, hopefully that's the kind of messaging that people that resonates with people. You know, that they they want to be outdoors, they recognize the value. It's important for their own health. Um, and you know, so there's there's one aspect of of trying to get the message out to folks of how important these forests are. We also just, uh, we released a report just last year uh, that we had a third party do, is Green Analytics. And that one, they looked at the, the, uh, the economic value of our tree planting program, the 50 million tree planting program. And, um, you know, they had to put a hard lens to it. And with our program planting, you know, approximately 2.5 million trees per year, 
um, that pointed to the the GDP of a three to one return. You know, from a government's uh, uh, investment perspective, it spoke to uh, 300 uh, rural jobs, seasonal jobs being created every year uh, to plant those 2.5 million. So right away, you know, you're looking at the rural benefits of employment uh, through the tree planting activities and, and the value of those trees. And then the ecological goods and services is 11 to 1 return from just those those 2.5 million trees. So and we talked about the ecological goods and services things earlier. So you know we try to we try to look at it from many different aspects um, to to show people how important our forests are. Um, and certainly, if you look at you know our northern Ontario forests, uh, the crown forests uh, that are you know we've got some of the best managed forests in the world here in Ontario, uh, managed through our forest industry. And under under various uh, legislation acts, the Crown Forest Sustainability Act. So that's certainly all those forests, you know, providing sustenance to the local communities, uh, maintaining those uh, communities. You know, they're really there's the value just goes on and on uh, for our forests. And we, you know, right across Canada, we have the best recognized by third party auditing organizations, recognized as the best managed forest in the world. So something we should, wow. as Ontarians, we should be extremely proud of. Um, and, and again, to the point of being able to recognize how important trees are to our lives. I think that's a good answer. Now, here you are, the CEO of one of the largest not-for-profit tree planting organizations in the country, perhaps in the free world, one of the largest. I don't know. I'll let you qualify that, whether you're in the top five or top ten. My question is, what is your biggest challenge as the CEO of this organization? Yeah, so and I, I don't know, Mark, what where we are in the world as far as not-for-profit tree planting organizations go. I know we're we're probably one of the largest, certainly here in Ontario, for for afforestation tree planting. Um, but I think it, it's uh, you know one of the one of the things that I've had the, the great pleasure of is with working in this and being part of Forest Ontario is just the the incredible and dedicated staff that we have at Forest Ontario. The dedication from our planting partners, from our nurseries, and of course the you know working with the federal government and their folks, uh, and we're continuing working with the Ministry of Natural Resources here in Ontario, you know, and their dedication. I think so. If I look at the, the, the flip side of the challenges, is just be having the ability to work with folks that are so dedicated to what we're trying to do. And I think the the challenges are kicking in when you start looking at the realities of COVID, you know, right today. And um, we've certainly seen as a lot of the uh, environmental non-government groups, the INGOs, uh, a drastic drop in donations. And um, I think there's a lot of focus, obviously, on health and, and putting energies towards addressing COVID. Um, but that, that drop in uh, donations has had an impact on the delivery of our programs, which in turn impacts you know, our abilities to ensure healthy forests for the future. So I think that's, uh, you know, it's always about the funding. It's always about, you know, looking for how we can get sustainable funding to, to ensure our programs are, are consistent. Um, certainly with tree planting, it has got to be recognized that in order for a successful tree planting program to exist, that long-term sustainable funding has to be in place. You can't depend on year by year by year uh, donations and grants, which are great. But there needs to be that long term, similar to what we have now with the 50 million from the feds, 
is that long-term sustainable funding basis to keep the wheels on the program, keep that infrastructure moving, and then build upon that with donations and, and corporate donations and such. So I think that's the challenge is to, is to first of all, you know, ensure that we have that long-term funding in place to be able to support the infrastructure that's required, and then to be able to go out and secure funding um, on top of that from individuals, uh, from corporations. The good news here is everybody can has a role to play and everybody can you know, contribute to getting more forests on our landscape. They can either dedicate their land to having those forests planted on their, on their land or uh, make donations or corporate support or anything like that. It, that all brings to you know, what we're trying to do and ensure those healthy forests for our future. I have one question about that, Rob, and your challenges. Um, is there enough land? Is there enough land to plant the number of trees that we need to plant? And what are some of the things that Forest Ontario is doing to make more land available for tree planting? That and that is a, such a good question. <laughs> so <clears throat> certainly, you know, back to you know, we've have a here in southern Ontario, for example, we have a highly fragmented landscape. There is an incredible need to increase the forest cover here. Um, you know, the, the reports show us Environment Canada did a report a number of years ago, so how much habitat is enough third edition. And they basically said that we need at least 40% forest cover to ensure that that forest can sustain itself. Uh, the average here in southern Ontario is about a 26% forest cover, with areas, you know, down around southwestern Ontario as low as 4 and 5%. Um, so there's that need. We also recognize that the land here in southern Ontario is predominantly owned by private individuals, 95% privately owned. And so to your point, the, 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 the land availability is there. The challenge is the competition for that land. And certainly we recognize that we, we all need a place to live. Developers are, are going into areas and, and you know, using these areas to build houses. There's agriculture uses. We need, we need food. But, but that's the competition is, is to you know, in, incentivize landowners enough that they want to dedicate their lands to forests and to then maintain those forests and to manage those forests long term. So, so that's a, it's, the land is available. It's the competition for what that land use is going to be in the future. When we look across Canada, and if we think about the 2 billion tree program, that's a lot of trees. And I've been asked that question by many people many times. And in working with folks like uh, Nature Conservancy Canada, they've done an outstanding job of identifying and modeling lands available, priority lands that, you know, fit in with other conservation areas um, to, for reforest or for uh, afforestation. And so there's, you know, areas available to hold billions of trees. So it's there. It's just, you know, being able to have the resources to reach out to the landowner, creating the incentives to encourage the landowner to plant those trees, um, having the resources available long term to continue to manage those trees uh, well into the future and educating the landowner you know, on best management practices and such. So, again, it's that whole infrastructure required that is going to make it so that we can be successful in getting more forests on the landscape. You know, and again, starting with the seed, you know, making sure we've got seed sourced 
uh, stock available. We work with the Forest Gene Conservation Association. They're experts in seed and determining how seed slash trees should move to address climate change, you know, right up through all the things that I previously talked about. So, you know, the land is there. We just we just have to make sure the incentives are appropriate to encourage the landowners to want to have forests on their property. Right. Well, what? Yeah. What? What does the future of trees in Canada look like? Well, it's um, you know I'm, I'm so encouraged, and I, I think it's uh, it was really quite amazing to me, uh, you know, when the in the past federal election. Um, you know, when, when, when normally, you know, it's the economy and societal issues that are taking the stage and are probably, you know, the prominent in platforms. What became prominent and was so, what was so amazing was the, the, essentially the bidding war between now Prime Minister Trudeau and the, the leader of the Green Party, Elizabeth May, who are bidding, have a bidding war about who's going to plant more trees. Hmm. Well, oh, my God, <laughs> when was the last time you saw a federal election talking about trees, let alone tree planting? So I think that and that precipitated into, of course, Trudeau committing to planting two billion trees over the next ten years. The, the federal government has worked, been working extremely hard to put that kind of program in place. They've been consulting with multiple stakeholders to get everybody's ideas on how to do it. Mark, I'm sure you've been involved in some of those discussions. Um, yeah, as you have, yes, that's true. Yeah, so I I see the future. It's bright. I mean, the fact that. The fact that the federal election platforms were talking about trees and tree planting and how important it's going to be to increase our forest cover, all to address climate change. And also, can't forget that it's also about addressing the losses in biodiversity that we're seeing around the world. So this, in my mind, is, is such a huge um, gain on for, for the, the, our forests in general. And I think if we can continue to make sure that the public is aware and understands how important these are, that the, when the federal government announces the two billion tree program, you know, to be able to get out and start engaging with landowners to get those trees planted on their properties, I think all of that is just such a bright future for what we need, you know, around the world essentially, and certainly here in Canada, uh, to ensure we have a healthy, healthy future for ourselves by increasing that forest cover. So I'm, I'm very, very hopeful, just again, because of all the attention we're seeing now. And, and certainly, Mark, you know, with your Highway of Heroes program and campaign, what a fantastic campaign that's been. Um, again, making people aware of the importance of trees, and of course, you know, and recognizing the, the soldiers uh, in, our, in the Canadian forces that have served and have fallen. But what a, it's such a great tribute. And, and I think all of that starts playing into getting people more aware of the importance of trees to our own health. Well, we're we're on the same page, Rob. And um, uh, I think that the Highway of Heroes partnership with Forest Ontario has been a great success uh, for a variety of reasons. And we should just mention, Rob, for listeners that have an acre or more anywhere along the corridor of the 401 from the Ontario uh, and Michigan boundary to the Quebec boundary, not just along the Highway of Heroes. We are planting trees within several kilometers, about 30 kilometers. I think we we chose that figure uh, of the 401 in partnership with Forest Ontario. And if you would like to have trees planted on your property and it only costs you pennies, maybe nickels, 
uh, per tree, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. How do people connect with Forest Ontario and and inquire about the other programs you have besides and including the Highway of Heroes tree planting program, Rob? Yeah, so certainly, you know, people can go onto our website, uh, forestontario.ca, and read about our programs, you know, the the partnerships we have. Again, the great partnership we have with Hardware of Heroes. And, um, you know, the other programs that we we have include forestry education and, and awareness. And the education aspect of it is to, we work with a lot of kids our youth, you know, we're trying to encourage our youth to, to get a passion for the environment, realizing that these are likely going to be the future stewards of our environment. So we really have to instill that passion early, as I feel I had in my youth, to, to want to get out and, and take care of our forests and take care of our natural environment. The awareness aspect is just generally to make people more aware of, of how important our forests are, as we do with uh, campaigns like It Takes a Forest, and certainly our community tree plants. And I know, you know, Mark, we've done some community tree plants with you folks as well. Well, all of yep. that, you know, working together and just continuing to, to promote how important those, those trees are and those forests are to our lives. I think it's, I think it's really important for folks to understand too. It's usually the other way around, but it really is, you know, we need that, we need a healthy environment, that healthy natural environment to ensure we have a healthy economy and a healthy society. It's not the other way around. So if we can ensure that healthy environment, everything else just falls into place. Well, I couldn't agree more. And for listeners to The Green File, where do they go for more details and more information? Yeah, so like I said, you know, they can go to our our, uh, website at Forest Ontario. And we've got all our programs there. And certainly if they want to hear or read more about the 50 million programs, just look there or certainly call our office. And um, we're more than happy to discuss what what we have that may have interest people as far as getting more treatment. Well, Rob, thanks so much. I've learned a lot. I, I thought I knew everything there was to know about you and the organization that you run. I, I can tell you, folks, I've had a lot to do with Rob and with Forest Ontario. It was almost 10 years ago that we uh, reforested our family farm in Port, uh, Port Perry. And we planted over 40,000 trees. And I, through that experience, met a lot of your people and some of your contractors. And then the Highway of Heroes, more people. You have a wonderful team. And that's a great tribute to you and your leadership ability in uh, this genre. And I want to say thank you. Well, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate that. And again, working with great partners like yourself and the others associated with Trees for Life, you know, it's everybody, I just feel there's a there's a solid passion there by so many people that know what we need to do. It's just gaining and sharing that passion with others to, uh, to spread the word. Thank you. ForestOntario.ca. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for joining us. At this point in our program, Ben and I like to reflect on what we're doing in the garden this time of year. It's the middle of November. Ben, what are you up to? Well, you know, it's gotten pretty quiet. We had a hard frost here in Guelph, which killed off sort of whatever was hanging on. My dahlias, my roses had a flush and then gone. Uh, So I've just been cleaning up after that last hard frost. Put my veggie garden to bed, uh, which frankly wasn't that much work. I Obviously, you know, I don't like to dig anything in and I'd like to tear out as, I like to do basically as little work as possible, as you know, uh, on these things. (laughs) And so I just mulched on top of, all of that decaying plant matter that was there, the dead squash plant and the dying 
kale. And um, I'm just going to let that compost and decompose over the winter. So that was my week in the garden. Uh, just a bit of tidying up and uh, kind of tucking in, tucking the beds into bed for the winter, if you will. So that's what I've been doing. You've been tucking the beds into bed. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. You know, I want to make something clear about what, what you just said. I want listeners to know that Ben is not lazy. He's not doing as little <laughs> as possible because he's trying to do as little as possible. Although that is a byproduct of the approach that the new generation of gardeners and I say this with the greatest respect to millennials who have decided we don't need to sanitize the garden in the fall. And so I've learned from you to keep the rototiller in the barn. I haven't used it for a couple of years. Why? Because Ben, ben and his experience with, uh, with agriculture uh, has taught me that we don't need to do that. And there are huge environmental benefits to doing uh, nothing, like literally let the garden go to sleep rake the leaves off the lawn onto the garden. Yes, yeah. you can't leave leaves on the lawn because they will kill the lawn simply because they eliminate the, 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 the exposure to the sun that's required by the blades of the grass off the lawn onto the garden. I said rake. I didn't say use a leaf blower. <laughs> In my garden, Ben, right now I am wrapping my broadleaf evergreens. So you know I have about 60 feet of yew hedging yeah. or taxis. So uh, this weekend I'm wrapping them up in a layer of burlap. I'm wrapping uh, cedars that are near the road because the enemy of cedars is road salt. Mm. It maybe has a few enemies, but that's the number one enemy. And here's the thing. It's counterintuitive because in most parts of Canada, the prevailing northwesterly winds right mm -hmm. through the winter are blowing the salt spray as cars and trucks travel up and down the road. They create a spray that is laden with salt. Right. Mm -hmm. That spray moves from west to east. And it's the cedars on the east side of the road that are most susceptible to salt burn. If you have cedars anywhere within, I would say, 40, 50 feet of a busy road, then you want to wrap them in two layers of burlap. And in the spring, as soon as you can get out there with a garden hose, hose the whole works down and just get any salt spray that's residue there off your cedars. But I'm wrapping boxwood, wrapping taxis, I'm wrapping um, holly. Holly needs to be wrapped as well. And it's partly the, it's not just salt spray, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, what it is, is uh, the, the, the heat, the sun, the solar reflection off the snow onto the foliage more in February than any time in the year can burn it, can like burn it dead. And so by just simply putting a layer of burlap on there, you insulate the, the, the foliage of your broadleaf evergreens so that that won't happen. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing a little rodent control, uh, spraying Bobex on, um, on my fruit trees. And I have some Vimy oat here, actually, from the Highway of Heroes. I'm spraying them with uh, Bobex just to keep the rabbits, Good. the mice primarily, away from them. And that's what I'm doing in the garden. Great. I have one question for you about your soil management. Um, yeah. When we had Antonio Valente on the show, he was telling us yep. that ever since he's gone to a no-till, low-till gardening approach on his flower farm, he's found a lot more worms and microbial activity in the top layer of his soil. He's really seen the difference, that is. Have you seen a difference when you're digging in the garden? 
Well, I think I have. You know, sometimes wonder if that stuff's just purely anecdotal, like we think we see them. I can tell you that Claudia, granddaughter Claudia, your niece, was here the other day, and she loves to feed the frogs in the pond worms from the garden, and Grandpa has to dig the holes, right? <laughs> and it was it was during that warm spell we had there in early November, and the and the and the frogs were quite active. So I'm digging holes, and she's harvesting worms. And to be honest, Ben. There were more worms than she could harvest. Like wow. she just couldn't keep up. Uh, <laughs> so I, th I think you're right. I think you're right. And uh, I would commend uh, to our listeners the edition of the Green File we did with Douglas uh, Talami, uh, who who wrote uh, the book uh, Nature's Best Hope. What a fabulous book! You want to learn about more about this kind of stuff. And it will support a lot of the stuff Rob Keen has already told us on today's broadcast uh, about how to garden in an environmentally responsible way. And it's all in there. And he, he dedicates a lot of space to soil control. Soil, you called it soil management, didn't you? Yeah, or stewardship, you know. Yeah, stewardship. I like the word stewardship because management suggests I'm actually doing something when I'm not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. resisting the temptation to yes. go out there and sanitize the yard, which so many Canadians have done for so many generations. But we need to get over that. Yeah, just let it go. Let it go. The earthworms will do the work for you. The foot soldiers of the garden. The earthworm. On that on that note about. But soldier worms. I think it's time to the soldier worms. Yeah, Remembrance Day wasn't that long ago, right? And the foot soldiers of the garden. Wrap it up like are <laughs> you hedged, Dad? All right, I will. Ben, thank you so much for putting this together as you always do so capably. To our special guest, Rob Keane, the CEO of Forest Ontario. More information at forestontario.ca. Also to our producer, Lucas. Please subscribe, rate, and review The Green File on Apple or Spotify. And remember to tell a friend just how much you're enjoying our show. Sign up for free monthly newsletters at markcullen.com. We're happy to send you one. At, remember, they're free. And we always, always respect and uh, love your feedback. You just simply go to contact us at markcullen.com and uh, send our groundskeeper any message at all. We see them all. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Rob and Ben. We'll look forward to the next time here on The Green File with Ben and Mark Cullen. <laughs>